Welcome to the Living Parables podcast, where we uncover spiritual truth and lessons God has given us through His Word and our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all the listeners tuning in the show today, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate every single one of you. And now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new week, brand new episode. Here we are back again with a study of the book of Colossians, and I'm still so thrilled to be doing this, and I don't want to waste any more time, so we're going to go ahead and get started. Last week, we started in chapter 1, and in chapter 1, we went through verses 1 through 12. And just to give you a little bit of a highlight on that, I want to start with verse 9. Going to verse 12, which will give us a little bit of a a recap of where we left off last week. Verse 9 says, For this reason also, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And I think those few verses there, I think those really speak volumes on just the overall desire of of a believer in Jesus Christ. And there are some very, very powerful sanctification principles here that I think we need to pay attention to. That first off, that we need to pray for believers. And that we need to have a desire to be filled with the knowledge of His will. And we talked about that before. We have an episode entitled God's Will. And... The overall desire of a believer is to please him in all respects. That's what verse 10 says. Bearing fruit in every good work. And here is the other thing. Increasing in the knowledge of God. That is our goal. That is sanctification. We have to have a longing, burning desire to increase in the knowledge of God. Not just head knowledge. Not just knowledge we can use on Jeopardy but intimate knowledge of God who desires to have an intimate, personal, saving relationship with us, which is just amazing. And so with that being said, going to verse 12 here, this is kind of the prelude to verse 13 where we're going to start with. But it says, giving thanks to the Father... Who has qualified us? God is the qualifier. Christ is the qualifier. To share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And how are they qualified? Saints previous to us. They are qualified by the exact same thing. Grace through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so with that being said, today we're going to be in Colossians 1. And we're going to be going through verses 13 through 20. Starting in the 13th verse, it says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness 
of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Okay, let's go ahead and start with the breakdown of this in verse 13. For he, we are talking about Christ here, rescued us. The word rescued in the Greek means snatched or delivered from the domain of darkness. So, what this domain of darkness is talking about here is the authority of the spiritual darkness. More meaning that we are slaves to sin. We are spiritually dead in our sins and we are shackled and on the slave market of sin. And if we didn't have Christ as our savior, our ultimate doom would be eternal punishment and wrath in hell. But the beautiful part about the second half of verse 13, it says, and transferred us. The word transferred here means move out of place. Where are we moving to? Well, we're going from the domain of darkness to where? We're about ready to find out. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. I mean, brothers and sisters, if that doesn't get you fired up, if that doesn't make you inwardly want to just scream hallelujah and praise him for all eternity, I don't know what will. Because verse 13, we could do a whole lesson on in itself. Since the fall, the domain of darkness is our natural habitation. That is what we dwell in. That is what we live in. That is normal for us. And ultimately, our destination, like I said before, is eternal damnation in hell. That is a very, very alarming, horrifying thought. But Christ came down to this earth so that that would not be the case anymore. And he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This is a, a trinity work here. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All working. And through that grace and faith in Christ Jesus our Lord, we are able to be 
miraculously, graciously, lovingly transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. And I think sometimes we need a reminder of Jesus's authority. And that is clearly found in Matthew 28, 18. As you well know, that is the Great Commission. It says, And Jesus came up to them and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So this is what we're talking about here. It is his kingdom, his authority. Verse 14, In whom we have redemption. The word redemption means a ransom payment. Earlier I talked about those of us at one point who were dead in sin, we are on the slave market of sin. And if you know anything about a slave market back in those old days, what they would do is you would stand out there and whoever owned you would wait for someone to come up, pay a certain amount of money, and then you are their slave. And so this is what Jesus did. He stepped down from heaven and entered the slave market of sin and bought us with his precious blood. This is what we're talking about with redemption. And it says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of his sins. We are forgiven by his blood. Matthew 26, 28 says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood. We are redeemed by the precious and holy blood of Christ. And going just a little bit past Ephesians 1, 7, and not just the forgiveness of our trespasses, of our sins, but according to his riches of his grace. It's all by grace. It's all because of grace. The fact that God would come down to earth in human form, being less than what he is, that's his grace. When God said, let there be light, that is grace. And the amazing part about God is that as he foreordains everything, before this world was even a twinkle in his eye, he had you in mind in creating this world. Does that strike a chord with you? Does that do something to you inside? Does that stir you up? Because it should. Because that's how precious you are to him. The Bible is, without a doubt, the greatest love story ever told. And you hear about those in American cinema and the mushy-gushy type of things. But this, this love that we're talking about, this is not a romanticized physical love. This is an agape, lay-down-your-life, benevolent, self-sacrificial type of love. That is divine. And see, my friends, that's what everybody's seeking. You know, I know we did an episode series on love, but the deeper I get 
into Christ, the more I am in awe of just how much he truly does love me and what he gave up for me. And let me tell you something. All the theologians, all the scholars in Scripture would tell you that no one would ever know how much it cost and what it and what it truly meant for Jesus Christ to be on the cross, crucified, naked and ashamed, taking our shame and our blame. And moreover than that, taking the full wrath of God upon himself, not just physically people, but deep spiritual burden was laid upon him. And I think sometimes we we forget that. And I don't think we understand that because a lot of times we hear that, well, Jesus died on the cross and Jesus died on the cross and the redemption of our sins and the forgiveness of our sins by his blood. My friends, you have to slow down. You have to really process and think through that because what did... What did we talk about last week? We, we talked about having that increasing knowledge of God. The more you increase in knowledge, I believe the more heartbroken you become over your sin and what it costs. The more you understand that how powerful and how holy and how righteous and how just God truly is. And God is just. And he demonstrated that perfectly on the cross. Through a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. The full wrath of God was satisfied. That's why Jesus is called the propitiation of our sins. And the, and the more you spend in Scripture, the more you're just, your spiritual eyes are opened by the power of the Holy Spirit to see these things. And it's amazing. And you're like, it just leaves you in awe and wonder and gratitude and thankfulness. That's why one of the spiritual aspects of the will of God is that we're a grateful people overflowing with thankfulness. And I am catching myself more and more and more. The deeper I go with God, the more thankful I am, the more overjoyed I am to, to when I read Ephesians 1, 7, you know, we're in Colossians in him, we have redemption through his blood. And here's the other thing. It talks about in Hebrews, the ninth chapter, in the 22nd verse. And you, I know you've heard me tell you this, this to you before, but it says, And according to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. My friends, it's all there. And here's the deal. You might recall in the Old Testament, the way sins were forgiven in the Old Testament, it was through animal sacrifices, through their blood. Now, would that cover sins once for all? Absolutely not. That would just cover a couple sins here and there. But we're talking once for all, for all time. A man by himself could not and will not and never will be perfect because we are flawed. 
We are sinful. We have that deceitful heart, desperately sick heart. So our blood would not cover a multitude of sins once for all. Only divine blood could accomplish that, and he did, triumphantly through the cross. Now let's move on to verse 15. He, talking about Christ, is the image of the invisible God. Image here is mirror-like representation of. You've seen Jesus. You've seen the Father. Jesus, many times in the Gospels, said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one and the same. Let's keep going in verse 15. The firstborn of all creation. My friends, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to stop here for a minute. Because this is such a controversial verse. Not the first part. He is the image of the invisible God. That's not the controversial part. Well, let me just say this. It's controversial if you know anything of Scripture and you are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Then it's not controversial. But it says, the firstborn of all creation. My friends, you are going to, at some point in your life, I'm going to assume, but I'm going to assume that at some point you are going to be confronted with people that seem Christian, but they teach, once again, like we talked about last week, doctrines of demons. And one of the people that I'm talking about here, I had two old gentlemen come up to my door. They were nice as could be, friendly. And they said, hey, we, we want to talk to you some more. And at the time, I was like, go ahead, sure, that's fine. Big mistake. But they called me about a week later. I had a 45-minute conversation with them, and they took this verse, just like what we're reading right now, and said that, see, Jesus is firstborn of all creation. That means he is a created being by God. And that is heresy. That is blasphemy. And that is so inaccurate. Because if you study Scripture... You know the firstborn here does not mean legitimately created firstborn of all creation. That's not what it means. But if you're surface level and you're not of the Holy Spirit, of God the Father and of Jesus Christ, if you're not a true believer in him, then you will unfortunately make a lot of serious doctrinal errors. And this is one of them. They were adamant, oh, you see here? This is what it means right here. And they weren't prepared for my answer. Are you ready for this? Firstborn. If you look it up in the Greek, this is what it means. This is not talking about a physical creation. This is talking about superiority, rank, or preeminence. Do you see the difference? Big difference. But, oh, no, we, that, this is really what it means. Okay, well, I'm not going to sit here and argue with you. And I pray that you do change your mind. You repent of that. 
because if you don't repent, hell is your destination. They didn't like me after that. But I'm not going to sit there and let my Lord be talked to that way. I'm not going to let him be belittled less than what he is. And I wish I knew the the full glory, the, the full truth of, of Christ with perfect knowledge and wisdom. I wish I did. And we will when we get to heaven. But what we know is found in Scripture. And if you know anything about the enemy, and not talking about people here, we're talking about Satan and his demons. They want you to believe that Jesus was a created being. Well, why would they want you to believe that he's a created being? Because you're on his level. Yeah, you're on his level. He was just a good guy, taught some good things, but we have the real knowledge here. And let me just say something. I'm going to have you turn to the book of Jude real quick. And we're going to do a book study on Jude. And the cool thing about Jude is only it's only one chapter, so it would be one episode. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, Jude is full of wonderful things. Wonderful things. So I want to read to you Jude 1, because there's only one chapter, verse 3. Listen to this. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. I want you to catch that last part. The faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. It's This is it. Faith in Christ. What we have in sacred scripture is all divine revelation in its complete form. That's it. There's no special revelation. No, God is not talking to people nowadays and giving them dreams and visions and all these type of things. You see this on YouTube all the time. I hope you don't go down that rabbit hole because I was just I was just curious and I went down that rabbit hole and I'm shaking my head thinking, wow. And guess what I found out? A couple of those people because they claim to be prophets and they claim to be people that had these visions, had a vision of something in their own personal life that, oh, I'm going to have a daughter by this name, and that's really cool. Guess what? He stepped out on his wife, and now they're going to be divorced. Good luck with that, pal. But they'll make up something silly, and they'll, they'll try to, again, trick people. But my friends... Most of the time, people are doing that for money, dishonest gain. And you can read in Acts how that worked out for people that tried that. But we're not going to go there right now. But all I'm trying to say, my brothers and sisters, is that you have to be so careful. You have to be so careful with these things. Because verse 15, if you are unregenerate, not a Christian, you can take that piece of scripture and twist it into something ugly. But this to the believer is beautiful. Why? Because the firstborn of all creation, he is number one. Number one. He is supreme overall. He has the preeminence. Verse 16, for by him, again, Christ, all things. What does all things mean? Everything. Everything. For by him, all things were created. 
Hmm. Let's go back to the very, very, very beginning of Scripture. Genesis 1, starting in the first verse, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, you might be wondering, well, wait a minute, Nate, it doesn't say Jesus here. Okay, well, I want you to go down to verse 26. Listen to this. Then God said, let us, keyword us, make man in our image. So let me just tell you something. That's talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Us, plural, more than one. So verse 16, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible. Sound familiar? Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things. We just heard that twice now, all things have been created through him and for him. Everything is for Christ, by Christ and through Christ. The world and its deception tries to convince us that everything of this world is for us. We need to be the master of our own lives, speak our own truth, live life for ourselves, do what we please. Well, verses 13 and 15 of our text so far is shown us clearly who the king is, who is Lord, and who is master over all, who is supreme. Not in just the physical world, but in the heavens as well as the spiritual realm. It's very clear. But... Man likes to distort that because we don't want people telling us what to do. We want to live life on our own terms, our own way, and our own path. I just, I never have found that to be appealing. I've tried to live my life the way I want to, and I make a mess of it. And with God leading me and giving me uh, the, the Bible as my guide, the lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. It's night and day difference. No pun intended. Verse 17. This has become one of my favorite verses as well. I say that almost every week, but truly I've used this so many times. Listen to this. He is talking about Christ before all things. Is he before all things in your life? And in him, all things hold together. God has to have, Christ has to have, the Holy Spirit has to have the preeminence. He must be before anything or anyone. I want to repeat that for you. God must be before anything or anyone, any relationship you have. No, your wife doesn't come first. No, your children doesn't come first. No, your, your parents don't come first either. You don't come first. Christ does. And in him, all things hold together. You ever wonder why our nation is falling apart? Why families are shredded? Churches are divided? Hmm. I wonder why. Because we have rejected God. 
He's not allowed in our schools. He's not allowed in our homes. And here's the sad reality. He's not allowed in most churches. Oh, yes, I said it. And I mean that. The destructive heresies, the surface-level preaching, the storytelling, the high-fiving, the fake and phoniness of quote-unquote Christians, and I don't, you can't call them Christians. And I'm going to tell you something very staggering. And maybe I said this before in previous episodes, I cannot remember, so I'm going to tell it to you again. It's easy to take the title of a Christian. It's so easy to do that. But here's here's something scary. There was a survey done not that long ago that polled, again, quote-unquote Christians. Here's the question. Was Jesus a created being? Do you want to know the percentage that said that, yes, he was a created being? 49%. 49% of, again, phony Christians, people that call themselves Christians, believe that he was a created being. That is devastating. So, hey, uh, well, I, then I can call myself a Christian then. Yeah, there's... There's different ways of heaven, and I can get there another way. Sure, I'll be a Christian then. That's staggering. That's gut-wrenching. And you wonder why. Our churches are in shambles right now. People are not expositing the Word of God. We're telling stories. We're getting laughs. We're telling jokes. Because... Expositing the Word of God means that you have to spend time in the Word and you have to spend hours in the Word, digging deep, building that foundation on the rock. But no, it's either just to throw it on paper and wing it and take a take a commentary out of context, or we could put different verses together that have no business being next to each other, and we'll throw it out there and that'll be that. We'll talk about our feelings. We'll talk about how you can have your best life now. And I'll tell you, if your best life is now, uh, that's because you're not a Christian. Because this is your best life now if you don't have Christ, because hell is awaiting for you. So you can go ahead and eat, drink, and be merry all you want for a while. But then it's going to catch up. And one day this is going to get real. And one day you're going to be on your deathbed, or maybe you don't even have that opportunity. And there you are, face to face with death, living in regret because you deny Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God. Well, I just had too many things going on. No, you don't. No, you don't. I'm tired of people, and this is maybe a little bit of preaching here, but I'm tired of people complaining and saying they don't have time for God. That is not true. You can make time to take your kids to the Little League. You can make time to go to the bars. You can make time to watch your favorite TV shows. You can make time for this, this, or that, your hobbies, for the football game, 
How long does a football game last? Three hours. And I'll tell you right now, there was a time in my life where I looked forward to Sundays, not because it was the Lord's day, not because I wanted to gather together with the saints, not because I wanted to hear the word of God, but because my beloved Pittsburgh Steelers were going to be playing. I know you already know this information about me, and that might be a unsubscribe button right now. Uh, good luck with that because there's no subscribe button. But you know what I mean. I was so I would get so worked up and emotional over the game that it was seriously. I laugh at myself now. And I was in my twenties at that point. And so, what am I trying to say here? I'm trying to tell you that Christ has and must have first place in all things. So I'm just, I'm tired of people saying that they don't have time for God. And that is not true. And you are deceiving yourself. And you know what? Satan has you right where he wants you. And I say that with passion because I was there. And now, if Pittsburgh is not on TV, sometimes I'll try to go watch it. Other times, I won't. But here's the cool part. I got to tell you this quick little story. So, I always wear my Christian t-shirts out in public. I do that for a reason. Not because I'm so righteous on my own, but because I want people to see. I want people to see me praying for my meals, and I want to see see that God is glorified in all that I say and do. So I'm sitting there watching the game and I have our living parable shirt on with our verse on the back that we preach Christ, not ourselves and ourselves as your bond servants or bond slaves or slaves of Christ. And so I had a, 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 a lot, actually a lot of conversations with people, but Watching the game sometimes turns into a godly conversation. And I do it for that reason. Because God is before all things. And all things were made by him, for him, and through him. And in him all things hold together. I I believe that with all my heart. Do you really think my marriage is that strong because of my own strength? Oh, no. You think my relationship with my kids is is great because because of me? Absolutely not. God has given us many many blessings, but he holds all things together. And he gives us the abundant life, not our best life now, but an abundant life full of the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness and self-control. And faithfulness And not a lot of people have that. And why do you think that is? Because we've deviated from the will of God. We've deviated from him so far. I, I got my family on my own. God, I, you know, I'll just see you on Sundays. I'll put you in a little box and I'll open up you on Sunday. And then you can come out for an hour if the preacher doesn't get long-winded. And then go right back in you go. We, we practice the ritual 
And that's all it's become. It's become a ritual, something we've done our whole entire lives. Instead of going for the true, true reason. And that is that our sheer devotion and gratefulness to God, to worship Him, to lift His name up on high, to be in obedience to Him, to gathering with the saints, again, praising and worshiping Him, and increasing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's why we that's why we go to church. We and we go because He loved us first, and now we love Him back. And now we seek Him with our whole heart. Now we pursue Him like, like we would a relationship on this earth. I haven't forgotten what it's like. And let me tell you something. I just celebrated 13 years of marriage. You think that came easy? I don't think so. I had to, I had to pursue her with my whole heart. But I can't. I can't just fixate on the physical. I have to pursue God with my spiritual heart and let my body be a living sacrifice to Him and my spiritual body be a living sacrifice to Him. But do we pursue God like we do people? More often than not, the answer is no. And speaking of church, verse 18, He is also head of the body, the church. It's his church. It's Christ's church. That's if anybody says this is the pastor's name's church. Oh, this is um, so and so church, something Baptist church, evangelical church, whatever church. Then it's wrong. It's not a pastor's name's church. It's not my church. It's not X, Y, and Z's church. It's Christ's church. Let's get that straight. And we've forgotten that. And we've turned God's house, we've turned his church into something at times is very blasphemous. There was something I watched talking about the charismatic movements and they had in the rafters of this gigantic church and it looked like golden confetti coming down. The lights were reflecting on it, so it was like flickering while it was coming down. They were saying that was the glory of God. Give me a break. It, I'm not going to go any farther because then I'll really start getting fired up. But we just we just degrade God, the Holy Spirit, and Christ in, in such ways that it's just, it's a really a shock that he allows this creation to keep living, to be honest with you. What we've done, the things that are said, the blasphemies that it's just like people are walking up to him and spitting right in his face and slapping him in the face. And you see this as believers and this, and that's when it's hard not to get down. Where it's, it's like, Lord, are, are you coming? What's the holdup? What's the wait? Well, Understand that God's patience means salvation. My salvation and your salvation and those yet to be redeemed. So again, that's where the struggle is not against the flesh and blood comes in. Ephesians 6. So we always have to remember that. 
But once again, verse 18, he is the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Jesus cannot be second to none. Not your husband, not your wife, not your family, not your job, your career, hobbies, children, whatever it is. He cannot take second place. It says it crystal clear right here. He himself will come to have first place in everything. Is he first place in your life? Is he everything to you? Verse 19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Christ was truly God incarnate in the flesh. And through Christ to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Let me say something here. The word reconcile means make friendly or make peace. Outside of Christ, you are hostile to God. You are God haters. That is a fact. And let me tell you something. The word reconcile here is such a powerful word. Because how were we reconciled to God? Pretty simple if you're a Christian. It's through Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And rising from the dead. Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 2 Corinthians 5.18, now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave, gave us a ministry of reconciliation. We are reconciled by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And we take that ministry of reconciliation and we go, and that's our ministry, preaching Christ to people and hoping that they will be saved by grace through faith as well. And so on and so on and so on. Ephesians 2.16, and this says it just perfect. Because we talked about that hostility, right? We, we just talked about hostility. We were enemies of God, haters of God. Listen to this. Ephesians 2.16, And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put death to the enmity. Jesus broke down the wall of hostility. And you know what? When Jesus Christ died on the cross, do you remember what happened? Do you remember what happened in the temple? Matthew 27, 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Why is that significant? The veil, behind the veil was the Holy of Holies, where God and his presence were. And only the high priest, only the priests could go back in to the Holy of Holies. 
and have access to God. Because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, that veil was torn. And let me tell you something, that veil was huge and it was very, very thick. Not only was that miraculous, but that was also a symbol that through Christ, we now have direct access to the Father. That's why I love John 14, 6 so much. Jesus said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Does it get any more absolute than that? But once again, in verse 19, it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself. Are you reconciled to God? It says, Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit must have the preeminence in our lives. Seems like a repeated theme. We cannot put ourselves on the throne because we are but sinful, wretched people whose destiny is condemnation and judgment unless we repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. What Christ did and gave up to come down to save us is truly hard to fathom. We were objects of wrath facing the terror of hell for eternity. It wasn't until Christ came, died, and rose up from the dead that we were able to have peace with God. Before Christ came, peace with God was impossible. And now, through Christ's work on the cross, we are gracefully given Christ's righteousness in exchange for our sin. What a Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, as we journey through Colossians, and as we close... Colossians has easily become one of my favorite books because, especially in this first chapter, we are seeing the deity of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. Far too often we look at the man's side of Christ, and as we've discussed in this episode, that people have brought down his name, brought down his deity, blaspheme against his holy name. But in this chapter alone, we see truly who he is. And I love verse 13, that those of us who are now in Christ have been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of Christ himself. Through redemption, of his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And the deeper we go with Christ, the more our hearts break when we sin against him. The closer we get to him, the more we revere him, honor him, obey him, love him, serve him, and have a great deep desire to get to know him intimately. And the fact that we get to have that opportunity 
to know God himself is nothing short of a miracle, grace, and love. So with that being said, my brothers and sisters, I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And until next time, God bless you all.